This is my Bible. It is the word of truth. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can. I'm a believer and not a doubter. I'm a doer and not just a hearer. I am humble before the Lord. I'm obedient to the Lord. I am mature in the Lord. I'm enthusiastic about the Lord. I know that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. In the book of John, chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, where we have been for the last three weeks, I want to read it to you here. He says, and truly Jesus said, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Amen? You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, this is going to be our third lesson in the sermon series entitled, Jesus the Protagonist. Jesus the Protagonist. And I said it's my goal to take a look at the Apostle John's recording of Jesus' acts in the earth. It's where we see that John records Jesus as being the central figure of the Christian faith. And as a result of that, this whole gospel that we preach and the gospel that we teach and the gospel that we believe in is all centered around Jesus. So, so in his name, Jesus, is Yahweh is salvation. And Christ, you know, in the Greek means the anointed one. In the Hebrew, it means Messiah. So therefore, we've said that Jesus is the protagonist. Now, the protagonist is the principal or main character in a story or literary work. Somebody say the star. The protagonist uh, makes key decisions that affects the plot primarily influencing the story and propelling it forward. The protagonists often face the most significant challenges or obstacles in the story. And then he's always confronted by the antagonist, that person or that thing or that object that is going to come against him. Now, the other definition, I want you all to think. I want you to join me in this definition. It says the antagonist is the advocate, the leader, or champion of a particular cause idea. The advocate, the leader, or champion of a particular cause idea. Now, what I want you to think, I know we're talking about Jesus, so we're going to make you a substar. You ain't a star, but I just want you to think, can you think of a time in your life when you have been the advocate, leader, or champion of a particular cause? In your life, have you ever played the protagonist? In your life, have you ever championed anything? Have you ever led anything? Have you ever advocated for anything? Think about that. And if you have, then in your own way, you were the protagonist of your story. And the question would be, what was the outcome of the cause that you championed or the thing that you led? of whatever you advocated for. You know, the world is in need of someone who will advocate for certain things at certain times and for certain people. You may be sitting on your protagonistic role and don't even know it. God may have called you to advocate for some things or somebody, but because you think somebody else is going to do it, you sit back and see things that need to be done that you ought to be taking care of that you're supposed to be starred in that. 
You're the name that's supposed to be leading that charge. Now, last week we saw that Jesus fed the 5,000 miraculously with two fish, five loaves. And as a result of that, he wanted the people to understand that he was the bread of life that came down from heaven uh, to, to set them free and give them eternal life. And we closed last week with Jesus revealing in John chapter 6, verse 47 and 48, that he said, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life, if we believe him. He says, yes, I am the bread of life. You know, we just got through singing that song, you are the I am, you are. See, every time we see the word I am in the Bible and it's associated with Jesus God, it ought to mean something to us. Whenever Jesus say, I am, in other words, he's saying, I'm more than who you see. I'm God. I existed before time was. And so I always operate in the eternal now. And so today, we're going to look at an, another way he says, I am. And we're going to start looking at that in John chapter 8. If you will, go to John chapter 8. Now, after Jesus' powerful explanation of truth last week, you know, about who he was, the bread of life, as always, the antagonistic Jewish leaders began plotting to kill him. And the Bible says that because this plot was so serious and, and, and some of the things that Jesus said after you know, he had done the miracles. It, it was hard to understand by even some of the people that followed him. And the Bible says that from that time on, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Do you know there are people going back right now and not walking with him any more? probably because some of the things that he may have said in his words are a little hard, a little too, too much to the point, that may step on your feelings every now and then, and when your feelings get hurt and you start operating in your feelings, then you don't feel him and you will turn away from. I mean, this thing must have got so bad that he looked at the 12, Latham, the one he handpicked, and he said to them, do you want to go away also? So you're the faithful. Those of you online and here, you're the faithful. So the question comes to you. When times get tough in your life, do you want to go also? Or do you want to stay with him or do you want to leave him? And there are people that's confronted with that choice every day. Some of them been in the church for many, many years, but they're confronted with the question, do you want to go away also? I thank God for your, those of you who are here today because that's an indicator that you didn't want to go away. Amen. Those of you online, I thank God for you also. That's a good indication that you did not want to go away. So today in John chapter 8, when I start reading, I start reading the verse Three, this is a very familiar passage of scripture. Jesus was in the temple uh, teaching. A crowd had gathered around him because he was still popular now. Whenever he opened his mouth, he can get a crowd. There were people that were following him. They wanted to hear his teaching. And as he was teaching, some religious leaders interrupted him in the middle of his teaching. And, 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 and guess what, Brother Anthony? 
they brought a woman that had been caught in the very act of adultery. I mean, Anthony, she was caught in the very not nobody talked about her, but they caught her in there. Now y'all take away adultery and just put your sin there. And see what you've been caught in the very act of. And by you being caught in the very act of, maybe there were some religious people out there who saw you, or who heard what you said, and they're going to make an example out of you in front of Jesus. And you know what? If you got to be made an example of, it is a good thing to be made an example of in front of the protagonist, in front of Jesus. Now look at this. Y'all hold on to this. He says, as he was speaking, teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery. You know, back in the old days when we was a little kid, I don't know if it was true, but you know, folk used to cheat. And, and, and they say, you know, folk cheat on their husband, cheat on their wife. They, yeah. And, and the, they, somebody told me, I don't know if this is a real law or not, but maybe as a kid, they say, you know, if you catch somebody in adultery, you can just kill them. But you got to kill both of them. Because you kill both of them, then that would be a crime of passion. Because you don't caught your husband. And you decided you weren't going to just use grits on him. You were going to nine mill him. So this woman was caught in the very act. And guess what they did? They, they put her in front of the crowd. They put on blast. You know when I was in the other church I used to be in, anytime the little girls did something wrong, we sure enough put them on but we never went and got the boy. You know, little Sally got pregnant out of wedlock. We parade her in front of the church and want the whole church to pray for her, but we don't go get Deacon's son over here who is the baby dad. It looked like we forgot that the law said it'd take two folk to do that. And if she was caught in the very act, that means somebody else had to Somebody else had to be there. And so because of your ability, you overlooked him, but you minimized her. The boy just being the boy. He just got to go and sow his oats. But the girl is getting the scarlet X on her. So now Jesus got a dilemma here. They done brought this and then put it in front of him in the middle of his class. Now, he, I don't know what he was teaching, her, but I'm sure his lesson had to change now when they done brought this woman there who they caught in the very act of adultery. And look what they says in verse 5. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Now, their motives for asking that question was not pure. See, because they knew that if he came against the law of Moses, then he'd be coming against their culture, and, and people would rebel against him for coming against the law of Moses. But then 
if he said, okay, we should stone her, they knew that Jews could not stone under Roman authority. In other words, in order for them to put someone under capital punishment, they had to get the Romans' permission, and the Romans were the ones who executed that. So they thought they had him in the middle of a situation that he couldn't get out of. And you know, just like the devil, verse 6 says this, they were trying to trap him into saying something that would cause, that would use, they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. You know, the Bible don't tell us what he wrote, so it opens it up to our imagination. And you know, I think every now and then I can have a sanctified imagination and say, you know, what did he write? I mean, he could have wrote a lot of things. He could have been writing some of the Ten Commandments. Maybe he put in there, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou, thou, thou. Or he could have just asked a simple question. Where is the man? I mean, that's all he had. A simple question. You got the woman here, and you say she was caught in the very act, so where is the other caught in? You got to caught her, but why don't you have the caught he? So I, that's just Bolden's imagination on what he may have wrote, but the Bible don't tell us what he wrote. But all it says he did was he stooped down and started to write in the dust with his finger. But you know, that wasn't enough for those self-righteous Pharisees, you know, the antagonistic people that in our lives that never going to see things from your point of view. They're going to always have another question, another this, another that. You can write in the dirt all you want. They're going to keep coming back with another demand. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up and said, all right, but the one who has never sinned Throw the first stone. Here's a pile of rocks over here. The one who's never sinned, throw the first stone. You know, forget about the Pharisees. That apply to you too. Because Jesus was implementing and letting us know about this, this universality of sin. And so even if you were standing there with your rock in your hand, going to throw a rock at a member of strife. And if Jesus was to ask you, if you are without sin, throw the first stone. I believe everybody in here dropped the rocks. Because if you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your mind right now, you can probably see yourself caught in something worse than this. Y'all don't have to get quiet right here. I just want to, I say I want y'all to think with me right now. And so therefore, we have all sinned, the Bible says, and come short of the glory of God. So therefore, none of us would have been able to throw the first stone. So if you couldn't throw the first stone, don't throw the second one. And if you know you done sinned, stop beating up folk that's still sinning. You got to deal with them, but you got to learn how to deal with people who are in sin with a compassionate heart and not a handful of rocks. But it's easy for us in the church to just grab a bag of rocks and forget that, you know, some of them rocks should be coming at us and not at the person that we think has sinned worse than we have. 
So now look at this. He says, if you never sin, throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. See, they thank you now. You know, like some of y'all. Y'all trying to sit here and think hard, but you, you ain't got to think too hard to know you can't throw the stone. Amen. I mean, you ain't got to go too far back in your memory to know that you can't. Come on now, don't y'all get sanctified on me right here. But your, your imagination, take your sanctified imagination and say, man, what would, what would have came across my mind to keep me from throwing that? You deliver from it now, so if it comes to your mind, you ain't got to go back to it. But man, say, man, that, that act alone would have stopped me from throwing They told me don't get upset when it get quiet, because y'all thinking. I'm going to give y'all the benefit of the doubt to believe y'all pondering some things in your head right there when you talk about the first stone. Now then look at verse 9. He says, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away. <laughs> you know how folk is. You know in the old days, we say you throw your rock and then you hide your hand. You know, you, you stirred the mess, and then you slip away. You done came in and just stirred up stuff. The meat was going all right till you got there. Then you stirred up the stuff, and then all of a sudden you just... Y'all better be careful when folks start slipping away after they done stirred up something. Because all you doing is carrying their mess. They're gone. So the guys who started the trouble and interrupted the class... Now when the jury and the trial is taking place and they have been convicted, they just slipped away. One by one. Beginning with the oldest. Now I don't know why they started with the old men, but maybe the old men had a longer rap sheet. <laughs> so they figured we better get out of here quick. You know what I mean? You know, maybe, you know, I got six to seven years of rap sheet. You know what I mean? So dude, the 21-year-old may think, well, I ain't done messed up that bad. I'm still okay. I'm going to stand here a little while longer. But us old guys got to gotta get away from here. Because we know in our heart the things that we've done, and we know that we had no right accusing this woman in front of Jesus. So they slipped away one by one, you know, from the oldest until Jesus was left in the middle of a crowd with the woman. So all the rock throwers are gone. Now I'm still teaching, and I got this woman here, and now I can use her as an object lesson to deliver her. So now look at this. Then Jesus stood up and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? See, if I was to bring someone and put them on trial up here right now, none of us could throw the first stone. So therefore, that means that all of you would probably just slip on out of here. And ain't nothing left but me and the folks I'm teaching to. And then now, in front of them, I say to her, where are your accusers? Does anyone condemn you? Condemnation is a serious thing when it comes to the church. And so often we find ourselves condemning others for some of the same stuff we do. Which make us hypocrites. 
Now, there's a time to correct, and Jesus is going to show us how to do that in the next verse because there's a time you got to correct people when they're wrong. But you got to know how to do that with compassion and love, not with stones. You can't correct people by throwing stones at them, talking about them like a dog first, and they done heard you done talked about them like a dog. And then now you're going to go and try to say, well, you know, honey, the Lord won't mean to tell you. No. The Lord should have sent you to me before you said what you said about me because I done heard what you said. Didn't any one of them condemn you? And look what Jesus said. She says, no, Lord. And the Lord said to her, neither do I. Now, he didn't let her off, Sister Beth. He said, go and sin. I'm not, not going to make excuses for your sin. But I'm going to tell you I love you enough to forgive you of your sin. And I love you enough to tell you don't do it, no. Because it don't work to your advantage to live in sin. It may feel good for a moment, but in the end, there's consequences that come with sin. And you know there's consequences. I ain't going to say that. I see kids here. I'm going to leave that alone. There's consequences with all sin, but there can be some serious consequences with sins that involve your flesh. But Jesus said, go and sin. And I think that's what sometimes people want to hear us say. The Lord love you. He know what you done did. Everybody talk about it. But look here, you need to get over it. Don't let it beat you down. Don't let it keep you down. Jesus died so you can be set free. It's done now. It's recorded. You're going to let that haunt you the rest of your life? You're going to walk around with that for 50 years? And then now you're 60 years old and you're still broke? You're still having issues in your head because you didn't get delivered when the Lord told you, go and... You're still holding on to something that the Lord done already forgave you for, done died for you so that you wouldn't have to carry that weight around the rest of your... All he said is just go, sin no more. Repent, don't do it again. It's just that simple. But so often we allow the enemy to get in our head. He could have gotten this lady's head. Oh, you know they caught me in the very act. The very act. Was it any worse because they caught you in the very act or you did it secretly? That's how the devil played with your... Now look what Jesus said in verse 12. He says, Jesus spoke to the people once again, and he said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. I came in the world so that the world could come out of darkness. I am the light of the world. And then he put a condition on this. If you follow me, you don't have to walk if 
I am the light, but you got a choice to make, Brother Melvin. You can choose to walk in the light or you can choose to stay in darkness. But if you choose to walk in the light, then I can tell you, you will not fall into sin like you've been. He said, now look, if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. Darkness, you know, things happen in the dark. Darkness just calls folk to just act unnatural sometimes. Darkness. Just think about it. You know, when folks don't normally just go out and loot in broad daylight, they do certain things that, you know, when I was in the world, there were certain things that we did at night that we wouldn't do in the Y'all don't try to play me. Don't sit here. No, no, no. Darkness has this thing. You know, don't look at darkness as physical dark outside. Darkness could be any place that you are when nobody else is there but you and the Lord. What are you doing in your dark? In the confines of your house, in the confines of your phone, on your computer. What are you doing in? Because what you're doing in those areas of life will tell me who you're walking after. And how are you walking? Because he said, he makes us a promise here. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. Because you will have the light that leads to life. Jesus came so that we could have life and have life more abundantly. But we can't have an abundant life with him if we are continuously walking in darkness. There's a time in our lives where we all error. And we can be in the light and we have those lapses in our flesh and our mind. Yes, you may step over into darkness for a moment. But there ought to be something on the inside of you that speak to your heart and say you're out of place here. You have no business over here. You're supposed to be in the light. And if you're going to be over here, your light should be shining so that the people that you're with or the thing that you're doing will be revealed and exposed so that now light will be on that dot. As the light of the world, Jesus said, you're the light of the world. So therefore, wherever you walk, light ought to appear. Can I get a loud amen right there? I mean, because I'm talking to the light today. I ain't talking to dogs. I'm talking to folks that's in the light here right now. Am I right about that? I mean, I'm going to assume that y'all walking in the... And when y'all appear, then darkness ought to go. You know, if I turn the lights off in this place right now, and with a little bit of a candle, man, it'll make all, most of this darkness leave. I don't even need all these lights. So I can just have a candle or a flashlight. And a flashlight will help me get out of here without stumbling over Latham, over those chairs, over that table. It will help me get out of here even if I'm in the midst of darkness. I ain't got but one thing in my hand, a flesh. Sometimes you are that flashlight for somebody else. And you're supposed to be there to lead them out of. Why? Because you are a part of the light of the world. You receive his light and you reflect it to others. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And so therefore he challenged his disciples in Matthew and told them, you are the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. And wherever light appears, darkness has to leave. 
So I say to you today, church, don't turn your light off. When you leave here, don't, you know, I done said this before. I know y'all didn't get it last time. But you know, I think some Christians sometimes operate with a dimmer switch. Y'all done got smart now. You ain't just on and off. Baby, on and off used to be simple to us. You either on or you off. But somewhere the devil threw that dimmer thing in there. I don't want the whole 100 watts, but I do want a little light. So let me dim it down so I can still, you know, I can just get it to the right place to set the mood for what I want to do. Just dim it. Some of y'all need to get rid of them dimmers. You, you need to get rid of that dimmer spirit. And just be on. Ah, God. Let me go on to the closing part of this in John chapter 8. Now, Jesus continued his teaching, but after he taught that lesson and what he had done to those leaders, man, them guys wanted to kill him even more. So they started to plan how they were going to kill him, they were going to destroy him. And, you know, Jesus still continued to warn the people. He was trying to get them to believe that he was who he claimed to be. But like most antagonists, the ones in our last sermon, they had a problem with Jesus. And you remember, they tried to throw Moses in his face. And, you know, when he told them that, hey, man, you know, I'm greater than Moses. I dare y'all to compare me to Moses. Well, today, these guys going to get offended and try to throw Abraham in his face. You know, because, you know, they consider Abraham to be their father. And they say no way that Jesus could be greater than Abraham. Abraham. So you want to know, how do you even have the nerve, you know, to compare yourself to Abraham? You know, when you read the rest of it, I'm not going to go through it all. They even called Jesus a demon. You know, and they didn't just, Latham, they didn't even call him a demon, just a demon. They called him a Samaritan demon. You know, in our day, that would be a racial slur. They could have just called me a demon, but you ain't got to call me the N-word. You're a demon, but you ain't just a demon. Y'all feel in the blank. They could have just called him a demon. But Melvin, they went back and said, you are some. <laughs> Boy, it's taking everything in me to not just. <laughs> so now Jesus could have been offended at the way they talked to him and how they treated him. But this exchange between him and those Jews got explosive. And then Jesus now had this conversation where he revealed that he is the eternal one that existed even before Abraham. And that was going to be hard for them to take. So let me look at this. I'm in verse 51, chapter 8. He says, I tell you the truth. Again, he said that several times. Another lesson. Anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. In other words, he's saying, now look, I'm challenging you to say that if you obey the things that I teach you, you're going to be able to live eternally. Now, in their minds, they were thinking naturally. And I told you last week, a lot of times when Jesus say things like this, this is not just talking about your natural body living forever, because he already know folk die. Folk were dying. These people were thinking that because people were dying. But he was saying, hey, that's some, the part of you, that part of you that God breathed into you, you need to be concerned about 
whether or not it's going to live forever. Don't be concerned about your flesh. We already know what the end game is for your flesh. That question has already been answered. This flesh is going back to the dust from where it came. But the question is, where is your spirit? The real part of you. That part of you that make you who you are. That spiritual part of you. Where is that going? When you take your... He says, you obey me. My teaching, you will never die. So look at this. Obedience not only frees us from the things that we're in, but also guarantees us eternal life. When we obey God, we can get free from some of the things that's holding us back. But then in getting free from those things, it also assures us that we can have eternal life. Now look at this. Verse 2. The people said, now we know you are possessed by a demon. Even Abraham and the prophets died. But you say, anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. In other words, Jeremiah dead, Isaiah dead, you know, Nahum dead, Habakkuk dead, Abraham dead, Isaac dead, Jacob dead. All the people that we can relate to, they all dead. And now you're going to come here and try to mess our mind up by telling us that we listen to you? That's what young people think when you start talking spiritual things to them today. They, they can't get this, and you got to be able to sit there with them and kindly and, and, and gently teach them what the truth of the gospel is. Because they, they will think the same thing. What does he mean? We're going to live forever. And all, our, all the evidence, ladies, all the evidence, Major, all the evidence, Brother David, all the evidence say everybody that he's talking about and he's comparing himself to Abraham, the greatest guy that we know, he. Then in verse 52, he said, they asked the question, are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? <laughs> you know when someone, asked, you, know, you know if somebody got mad at you, they ever ask you that, who do you think you? Obviously, they don't know. But I hope when they come at you like that, I hope you know who you are. Because if you don't know who you are, when they come at you like that, they will then define who you are for you. So it's important for you to know who you are so that when people ask you who you are, you can clearly explain who you are. Man, who do you think you are? To compare yourself and say you're greater than our father Abraham. Who do you think you? You know, Jesus ain't scared. You know, <laughs> you know, he ain't got no back down in him. You know, I know people try to portray him, but Jesus wasn't no chump now. Don't, don't think that Jesus was a chump. He wasn't no soft dude that you go, you know, no. You know, he dealing with religious folk. You know, religious folk is. <laughs> Don't, don't make me start talking about religious folk and some of the things religious folk done did out of their hatred. Religious folk. You can just look over in the Middle East and see what is done in the name of re religion. Religious can be a dangerous thing in the hands of the wrong person, especially if they got religion and don't have Jesus. 
religious people. Who do you think you are? Jesus answered, if I want glory for myself, it doesn't count. I didn't come here to glorify myself. I came here to glorify my father. But in the end, he's going to glorify me. Later on in John, we're going to, you see that. He says, but it is my father who will glorify me. You say he is our God. He said, now look, the same one that you call God is the same one that glorifies and if he is the one that glorified me, and then now you're here trying to kill me, obviously you don't know. Y'all got to get this. That's what the point he's trying to make. He said, now, the same one that do this, you say he is our God. If we are serving the same God, then you ought to know me because the God that sent me talks about he revealed himself through me in the Old Testament. He revealed me in the Old Testament. He's been talking about me through your prophets. He's been talking about me through your laws, through the writing. They all were leading to me, and you say you know him, and then I say he sent me, but then you don't know me. Then so I question, do you really know Do you really know him? He says, you say he is our God, but you don't even know him. I know him. Those two knows, there's two different connotations. See, there's a know that you can just know with your head. You can know of a lot of stuff with just with your knowledge of what you done read, what you done seen on TV. But because you done read it or seen on TV don't mean that you really know. You have never experienced that. You just don't saw it from a distance. You don't heard other folks talk about it. And I use this example all the time. You know, I, you know, I don't want to give no prop, but look here. I can say, you know, I know Michael Jordan. And that would be a true statement. In the use of the word, knowing him as a friend, I know who he is, what he represents. I don't seen his commercials. I don't seen all this. But do I know him in an intimate way? There are people who know God and know Jesus, they know of him, but they don't know him in a... These people knew of God, but they didn't know him in an intimate way because if they had known him in an intimate way, they would have known Jesus. And until you know God in an intimate way, then all you have is head knowledge. It starts there. But it got to become heart knowledge. And you got to get him in your heart and in your spirit so that you know him in an intimate way. He says, now, you don't even know him. I know him. If I said otherwise, I would be a great liar, a greater liar as you. In other words, I can't lie. So if I deny the fact that I know him and I have been with him, then now I would be lying just to please you. I ain't going to tell no lie because if I tell a lie, I can't die for bolden. I mean, because, you know, the script say I got to be sin free. So therefore, I can't lie. He said, now look, but I do know him and obey him. Your father, now this is where he upset him right here when he throw this in there. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. 
And he saw it and was glad. Somewhere in Abraham got a revelation back in the Old Testament that a Messiah was coming. He knew that Jesus was coming. It don't say exactly how he knew it, what God did to him. But Jesus said, hey, Abraham was looking forward. In other words, Abraham had this great expectation that one day a Messiah was going to come. And when he started looking at that, he found joy and gladness in it. Now, you know, when you say that to folks thinking in the natural, they're going to go and get natural with you and throw some shade at you. And so what I need for you to understand, look here, you got to be just like Abraham. You got to be looking forward to Jesus coming. Even though you have never seen him, and even though you have nothing, did nothing but read this Bible, you still have to have an expectation that he is. And when you have that expectation, you ought to have more joy than Abraham because we got more word, we got more testimony, we got the Holy Spirit to give us that joy and that hope that we need as we look forward to his return. So we got to have a greater expectation than Abraham because we're looking forward for him to return. Now look at this, and I'm almost done. The people said, you aren't even 50 years old. Because that was about two, over 2,000 years, you know, when Abraham lived. And they did the math real quick on it. You ain't even 50 years old. He was nothing about 30-something at the time. But they just threw 50 in there. That's all right. In other words, look, look, little pony. We looking at you. You ain't about 50 years old. Ain't no way. You can know Abraham. I mean, I'm looking at you, boy. You ain't. Last week they talked about his mom and his daddy. This week they talk about his age, Major. You can see this pattern of how folk who are antagonistic, there's a pattern that they follow. They're going to always find. How can you have seen Abraham? Now, this is where Jesus really get him. Jesus answered, I tell you, the truth. Good God Almighty. I mean, if y'all don't get this now after y'all don't sung the song, you are the I am, you are. You are. Robin, didn't they, we sing that thing real good? You are the I am, you are. Whatever I need, you are. You are the I am. Y'all just got through singing that, didn't you? You know, look here, after we read that, you ought to want to say that a little bit more. Because now you ought to have a better understanding of what the songwriter was trying to put into that song to make you get to see the same thing that these Jews had to see when Jesus said what he said. After they accused him, say, man, you ain't even 50 years old. He said, look here, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. Good God am I. Before Abraham even came into existence, I am. Abraham ain't even old as Adam. But before Adam was formed in the dirt, somebody was sitting around and said, let us make man in our own image, in our own likeness. Before Adam came about, I 
when Moses was at the burning bush and, and trying to figure out who do I say sent me when I go back and talk to them hard-headed people, who do I say sent me? He said, just tell them that I am that I am. And I sent you. And Jesus said the same thing. They look here. All you need to know is before Abraham was born, I am. Now you notice that he didn't say I was. That would be a whole different connotation if he said I was talking in the past tense. When he talk about the I am, I am always present. I was present back then. I was present before Abraham. I was present when Adam was made. I was present when Abraham was made. I was present, Brother Anthony, when you I am always operating in the present. And so therefore, look here. That's why John said at the beginning, in the beginning was the uh, and the word was, and the word was with. In other words, in a simple way, Jesus was telling them, I am God. They could get that. He was saying, I am I am the eternal God. I existed before time was. Look here. I don't operate in time. I don't operate in space. I can be wherever I want to be, whenever I want to be. I, I am. And so after he said that, they didn't have no other recourse but they want to. You know them stones done show back up. <laughs> so I tell you. <laughs> they were just like the folk that caught in adultery. You know, the ones that caught the lady, they didn't learn their lesson. Now they figure, look here, we, he done said he is the I am, then let us find some rocks. We need to throw some stones. Now don't you know if he could save that woman, he could save himself, if it wasn't time for him to... And the Bible says he just walked It was not his. And because the story said he wasn't going to die by stone. The story said he was going to die on the. So therefore, Major, those of us who know the end of the story know that this thing ain't over because just because they got their stone ready to throw. Don't get excited. Don't get up. Don't say, oh, my Lord, what they finna do to Jesus? Look at here. He the star. You already know he ain't going to die by stoning. So don't you get excited about that. You get excited that he kept on fighting till he got to the cross. Good God Almighty. Good God Almighty. I'm so glad that Jesus is the protagonist. I'm so glad that he is the star. I'm so glad that he is the one that advocated for us and still advocates for us when we make a mistake. He sits next to the Father advocating on your behalf right now. He is your star. Even this day, when you make a mistake, when you error, he is sitting right up there advocating for you. So I say that to say this. Don't let life and things that you've done nullify what Jesus is saying for you in heaven. Let me make this plain. If Jesus is advocating for you as your lawyer in court, don't you get on the witness stand and mess up the case.
Robin, he's saying all you need to do is just keep your mouth. Let me do the talking. Let me do the fighting. Let me do what you paying me to do. You came to me, so it's my job to defend you when anybody come against you. I got you. I got your back. I'm going to be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And even when my father got odds with you, I say, Father, I need to intercede for her right. Somebody ought to give him some praise right now. If you know you got an advocate, you know you got someone that was before Abraham that's advocating and pleading your case. No matter what you've done, Jesus pleading your case. Hallelujah. 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 That's what we need to let people know. Don't worry about what you've been caught in or what you've been doing. The Lord died so that you could be set free. And he wanted me to just tell you that in love and not throw and hit you with us. Now, some of y'all came here today just to hear me to tell you, drop your rocks. Drop your rocks. Drop your rocks. Put the mirror in front of your face. Love and compassion is what's going to draw people to the Lord. And he's got to use us to show that love and compassion, just like someone showed us. We got to be there for those who think that all is lost, but we got to let them know we didn't come with rocks in our hand. We came with love in our heart and compassion because we want you to know the same Jesus that we know, the one who is advocating for all of us. Amen? Give him a hand clap of praise, if you will. Hallelujah. 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 Every head bowed, every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Hallelujah. We've got several appeals. Those of you online, well in the house. Our first appeal is for salvation. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as the pardon of your sin, even if, you know, our lives have been like the woman or anybody, any type of sin, sin is... It's sin. Yes, there are various stages and degrees that we can do things that seem worse than others, but the Bible is clear. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But Jesus came so that he could take away our sins so that we can have access to the Father. We got way back to the tree of life through him. And so if that is you, if you're online today and you don't know Jesus Christ as the pardon of your sin, if you're in the house, please raise your hand. If you're in the house, if you're online, we have to give us a call, 850-862-3899. Extension zero, someone will answer your call. If you're in the house, just raise your hand. My second appeal is this. If you're here and uh, you're looking for a church home and the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart, if you're online and you're looking for a church home, we encourage you to consider striving. If you're here, please consider striving. If you would, raise your hand. If you'd like to become a part of this ministry, we'd love to have you in our fellowship. Please raise your hand. Please raise your hand. Please raise your hand. Then my third appeal is just for prayer. I ask you briefly just set your heart and mind on prayer. Think about your life. Think about what the Lord has done for you, where he's brought you from. And as you're praying, ask him to show you someone that you can show love 
and compassion to. Someone that if you was operating in your old self, you would have thrown a stone at them. You would have hit them with the rock, not realizing that that same rock should have been coming at you. But if the Lord is showing you somebody, I don't know who, but if he is, please act on it. Don't think that this is just some abstract moment in time. This is a time where the Spirit of God is ministering to your spirit right now. And whatever he reveals to you, I ask that you just be obedient. Trust him. Trust him in this moment when it's just you and him communing with one another. Trust what he's speaking to your heart. Trust what he's speaking to your spirit. Trust him. You're never going to increase your faith if you don't trust him when you're in that time of prayer and you get instructions from him during your prayer time. Faith is increased when you start acting on the things that God tells you to act on. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we come to you. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, for him making it clear to us today that he is the I am that I am, that he is the self-existent, eternal one who was here before all of us were born. But because of him, we have a way back to you, Father, and we're so thankful. We're so grateful that he thought enough of us to continue all the way to the cross to die just for each and every one of us. And we're thankful for that. And now, God, we just ask that our concerns that we have here, whatever our hearts are feeling right now, God, if our hearts are heavy, if they're joyful, wherever we are, God, I ask that you minister to us in that place. And as you minister to us in that place through your spirit, God, I ask that you give us revelation knowledge of what we need to do and how we need to do it, God. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our mind. Because, God, we know that your spirit is well able to teach us, to lead us, and to guide us. God, we are more than just fleshly beings. We have a spirit that you breathe into us on the inside. We are spirit, body, and soul. So right now, God, we just ask that you speak to our spirit. Not to our flesh, not to our emotions, our feelings, but speak to that part of us, God, that relates to you. And God, when you speak, we declare that we will obey you. We will trust you. We will believe that what you are telling us or what you are inspiring us to say, to do, or to change in our life, we'll believe in God that it is the best thing for us. God, I just hope that each and every one of us has a relationship experience with you today that we don't leave here just knowing about you, but, God, we leave here with an intimate understanding of who you are because you have touched us in a special place, a place that only you could touch. And, God, we thank you for that in advance. In Jesus' name we pray. Let everybody say amen.